here's a test. You see the nerdy looking kid in the white shirt playing against the four guys at once. Which one of the guys do you think is a strategic weapons expert with the CIA? And that just goes to show that time flies uh, when you have fun, because it's already time for episode number 38. Thank you for listening to the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast, and uh, Sean speaking as usual. And uh, I'm not going to waste a heck of a lot of time. This isn't going to be a long intro. I tend to ramble on for a long time, but one thing I do want to do is address a um, an email that I got from Air Shack. You might remember I previously mentioned how I'm starting to dabble in 7800 Basics, see if maybe I can come up with some kind of a homebrew of my own. And I had a little problem that I needed to generate 28 random numbers, and they all had to be unique, and they all had to be between, what was it, 1 and 207, or 0 and 207. And I couldn't figure out a way to do both at the same time. I couldn't find a really elegant solution, so uh, Airshack says, how about multiplying your random numbers by 207 and then dividing by 256, or simply multiplying them by 0.8085, or just 0.80? This will bring the range down to 0 through 207, and uh, that's absolutely right, that will. But then I realize that another problem is uh, I really need to narrow that range because of the way the numbers fall they actually correspond to where sprites are going to be plotted, and I need them to be plotted so that, at least at the very beginning, they don't run off the screen. So I need to kind of narrow that range and experiment with it. But I actually did figure out a way to get random numbers and unique numbers that fall within the proper range. The problem is, due to the way that I was seeding the random numbers and the way that the random number generator works in 7800 BASIC, there were hardly any numbers popping up between, say, 0 and 80. And then as I gradually got toward the end of the range, I got more and more numbers in those continuous ranges. So I got like maybe a couple from 0 through 80, and then a handful from, say, 81 to 120, and then a bunch from, say, 121 to 207, which... Uh, didn't really work out well, so I'm still trying to figure out a way to even out the distribution because the distribution really does need to be somewhat even. So uh, it's it's a rather interesting exercise in mathematics. Thankfully, I do understand <laughs> basic math and stuff, uh, like up through say trigonometry, but that's about it. So thank you, Airshack, for your suggestion. I really do appreciate that. Uh, that is a good idea. I'll have to keep that in mind though uh, for my future random number attempts. But um, what more can I say? I'm not going to say anything more other than to get straight into the um, main topic of this episode. And that, of course, is Ed Ladin's various products. And rather than do what I usually do and just sit here and babble on about the actual products, I figured what better way to do it than to let the man himself speak for them, Ed Kelly. It was an honor to speak with him. We spoke on mother's day of 2018 actually and that conversation is coming up in a minute <laughs> except there's one little problem uh when we were recording ed didn't have a way to record his own audio so i had to record his audio which is no problem except um it was only picking up his audio for quite a while uh, so it 
I forgot to hit record on my own audio until pretty late in the uh, in the little chat we had. So I kind of had to listen back to Ed's part and guess what the questions were that I was asking him. So it's kind of like uh, one of those open-ended interviews they used to send around to radio stations where you could actually make it sound like you were really interviewing the person, even though that person wasn't there in the studio. They'd send you a script. Uh, I know Alan Sherman had one. Uh, Davy Jones did one, too, for the movie Head, I think. But uh, it's, it was kind of like that. But anyway, here's uh, what Ed and I talked about. So why don't you start by talking about your first project? Was it the Super Twin 78, the Super 78? Well, my first project, I really all started happening at the same time. Like I, I was thinking about it in terms of a product line that I could build for the 7800 rather than there wasn't just one controller that I, I started with the one and then added a second. And it was uh, an experimentation phase at the beginning of thinking about, well, what would be a neat collection that we could offer right off the bat one funny detail kind of one of the straws that broke the camel's back as far as getting off my butt and doing something you know making something for the community was what turned into the supreme 78 control panels those steel panels are actually server doors we buy a server chassis for building amplifiers for our sound therapy business which is the main which is the you know the, the real business that actually pays our mortgages and stuff. And uh, we had switched to this new beautiful server chassis that had these beautiful doors, and we were just piling them up and didn't have a use for them. And I was like, you know, I just couldn't bear to, you know, send them to the landfill. And I, I was playing with one one day, just sort of idly fooling around with it, and I thought, this thing would make a really cool, <laughs> make a really cool uh, control panel for a, a game controller. And so... And I can't help but notice that fuzzy filter in the... Uh... The yeah, metal panel. The, and the filter that's in there. The <laughs> that's exactly right. And so that's, the, you know, all those things, they were sort of all coming at the same time. And I had bought a, my first 7800 in, I think, 2013. And, you know, I'd had a 2600. I got my 2600 in 1981, saved all summer to buy that thing, and, and a 5200. I kind of got out of console gaming after the 5200. I went off to college, and I had access to actual arcades. And then the PCs came along, and I sort of jumped over on that ship and never really came back to consoles for, you know, decades. And so I bought that 7800, and the games for it were really solid. And some of the 2600 ports are really lacking nothing almost, you know, games like Berserk and Space Invaders. But the 7800 took a lot of those up a whole other notch, but the controllers were just so terrible. And already being in my 40s, it was just like my wrists start to hurt, my thumbs start to hurt, and I couldn't couldn't enjoy them. And so that was really... And about that same time, I heard the Antic 8-Bit podcast and Ferg's podcast, both sort of at the same time, and went to a game expo. This all happened in sort of one magical summer there in 2013, where I was like, oh my gosh, it's really... There's a lot of people that are interested in this. It's not just me living in the bubble. And... Off I went, you know, along with my pile of uh, <laughs> inventory of panels that I didn't really have a use for. But that's how it started. So 
all of the Ed Ladin controllers are arcade style as opposed to like the simple like holding the palm of your hand kind of controllers. Can you talk about what made you go that route for your product? Well, you know, as a kid in the 70s, it was all about the arcades for me. Like I loved my 2600, but every chance I could get, every quarter I could, you know, every lawn I could mow, I was always looking for the next trip to the arcade. It reminds me of the stories that you and Jim talk about. Like, uh, as soon as I could get to our, an arcade, and I just love that feel, and for me, it was always about an arcade controller. That's what I wanted back in the day. Like, I would see them in the back of Electronic Games Magazine, and that was what I wanted all, right off the bat, was to replicate that that arcade experience and that, that classic ball top. Like, I don't even really like the bat-style joysticks. It's all about that ball and those classic concave push-buttons. So that was the thing for me from day one. Let's talk about the most recent addition to my personal stash of controllers, the Super Twin 78, which I must say is a savior for anybody wishing they could play Robotron better. That was the same thing when I when I got my first 7800 and I think it it was all came with a lot, you know, 8 or 10 games with it and Robotron was in that batch and I was like this is an amazing port of Robotron but you just can't play it. You just can't play a Robotron with having to run in the direction that you're shooting like you do if you're if you don't have a twin stick. And so uh, once we were looking at the option of making controllers at all, it would seem like it'd be pretty easy to find a uh, an enclosure that was large enough to be able to foot, fit two whole control panels in there so that you really could have twin stick control. And a lot of the expense of getting there, I mean, and there's there's some more expense buying the second stick and the second pair of buttons, a little bit more wiring, that sort of thing. But really a lot of the expenses in the, <clears throat> the aluminum enclosure and the, you know, everything to get that far. So it didn't, wouldn't even have to be that much more expensive. And it's been by far our most, uh, most popular controller, the super twin. We're up in the fifties on that one. And the, the, most of the rest of them are in the thirties. You know, something I've been thinking about is, uh, that twin stick, Probably could be helpful in some Atari 2600 games. Uh, Stargate comes to mind. That's right. Stargate and, well, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's not so, you don't have to have your stick hand right on both sticks all the time, but it is convenient. Have Have you tried 2600 games with the twin stick? Um, no. No, I really haven't. <laughs> I've only ever played Robotron. Uh with with the twin stick on the on the seventy eight or the twenty six hundred, I guess. What about Crazy Climber? Does that have a twin stick? Or? Oh, you know, I know that you can play Crazy Climber with just one joystick. I don't know if there's an option for two, though. To be quite honest, that would be great. I don't know if they program for that, but did you have any other seventy eight hundred or perhaps even twenty six hundred games in mind when you did the Super Twin? Well, and honestly, I I would love to, like I'd love to see a seventy eight hundred port of smash tv i don't know if that's possible but if somebody was getting one of those programmers was getting frisky that would be on the wish list or even maybe space dungeon like space dungeon is one of my favorite games for the 5200 so it'd be cool to see that on the 7800 as well okay so can you talk about the ambidextrous supreme 78 models well the all play stick is i think that's the one you have that has a an Omni 4.8 joystick with a switchable restrictor plate. And, and it really makes it nice for people that, you know, you, we throw around these terms like 8-way and 4-way, but 
there's nothing like being able to tilt up the panel and actually see what's happening where you know mechanically the the end of the joystick shaft is being sort of forced into these four corners and it's whether they're in a diamond orientation or a square orientation just by turning the the plate 45 degrees and so it's all an all micro switch stick gives that clickety sound that we're familiar with and oh yeah there it is <laughs> and also in the in the buttons and then with the leaf switches the leaf stick is really um you know we found a, a decently priced leaf switch controller which the leaf switch is what preceded the micro switches and so if you if you look under into a pac-man machine an arcade Pac-Man machine that has leaf switches in it, and so the early games and certainly the Bronze Era stuff before the invention of the micro switch, it was these leaf switches, which are really just two copper contacts that the stick bends one till it touches the other, like something you'd see in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. And so they they give a really soft feel. There's no click at all, and they can have a real sensitive touch. And so on that one, we we put the leaf joystick and then also leaf buttons for the four buttons. And it was really just a thing of like, well, you know, if we're going to go this as far as building the micro switch stick, the the 4.8 version, it's really not that much harder to, in, you know, as far as like inventory to carry one more joystick and one more type of buttons. It's not that big a deal. And then to be able to offer that choice and also just for the like, I don't think anybody else offers one. So it was just something, uh, a feather in the cap to be able to offer a, a leaf joystick for uh, anybody that was interested, but honestly, they have not been all that popular. We've we've sold, we've built probably. I should have had the spreadsheet handy. I think it's like eight. <laughs> we've built like eight in all this time. As we speak, we are just on the doorstep. We have sold 198 controllers since we launched this thing in 2014, and only a handful of them have people have been have requested the leaf. But you know, it's all about having the choice and, and getting what you want to have. So happy to do it. Now, that LEAF model doesn't have a 4.8 switch, right? Well, it just doesn't need it. Uh, with the LEAF switches, when you move the stick, it bends. If you go into the diagonal, it, the kind of a big ball that's on the bottom of that stick is actually going to mechanically bend over the, the little metal contacts on in both corners uh, at the same time. So it's kind of all and none, all at the same time. At that, That's kind of a weird way to say it, but... Uh, it doesn't require a gate. Wherever you move the stick, it's gonna, it's gonna bend those little leaves and and engage them all. So there's no plate of any kind in there. Speaking of not needing that um, uh, four eight switch, I have to say I was very impressed with how the Super Twin works well in four way games. In fact, the first game I played when I got the Super Twin was one of the Pac Man collection games, and I got to tell you, it played perfectly well despite the um, Super Twin technically being an eight-way controller. so uh, And i got to say, I'm impressed on how well the Super Twin pulls that off. Well, that was that was a, something on the learning curve. Very The very first uh, handful of controllers we built, the ones that the Super line inside the aluminum cases, we were using an eight-way stick, and which means the restrictor plate is, if you look down at it, it looks like a square, and so the shaft is sort of headed into the, the four corners rather than, uh, north, south, you know, east and west. And it was terrible. It was just terrible to try and play a maze game. And I'm not anywhere near as good as you, but I love the Pac-Man games. I love the maze games and any of those. And also all the horizontal sliders like Space Invaders, Galaxian, Phoenix, 
uh, demon attack, anything like that where you're going left and right, the stick wasn't cooperating. It's always trying to force you up into a corner. And I did some investigation and found that with the Sanwa sticks, there you could change that restrictor plate so that there were literally eight little points in there, both the the square and the up, down, left, and right. So you have a positive landing place for your stick to land in so it doesn't feel like you're skating along. You know, like if you're trying to go up in Pac-Man and it's always trying to force you to the corners, you end up missing some of your turns. It's a true octagonal plate with eight little points instead of four, and so you don't have that problem. And it's not quite as perfect as, as you would know, you have both. If you're in four-way mode on your Supreme, it's really forcing you to the top. It's idiot-proof, but the with that octagonal uh, restrictor plate, it's not working against you. You know, it's a, I think it's a really good compromise for the value of it, and it doesn't. It costs us a little more to put that octagonal restrictor plate in there, but it's not much, and it's well worth it. Because the other, it wasn't worth, kind of wasn't worth it. Like, I still have the very first Super Twin, and you can't play a maze game on it. It's just because you're fighting against the stick every time you're trying to get into those cardinal points of up, down, left, and right. You know, I used to have two pain line controllers, but lately I'll either use one of your controllers or a CX-40 or something. I no longer even have any pain line controllers <laughs> whatsoever. Well, it was a bad stick, and now they're all, they all have you know, 30 years of, uh, of corrosion and buildup in them so that they're even less responsive than they probably were. And uh, The whole design is ergonomically terrible because you're, you're trying to hold onto the stick with one hand, and that means sort of clamping your hand around it. But you also have to keep your thumb and, uh, you know, pointer finger loose so that you can work those two buttons. And then every time you move the stick, you're mechanically working against those three fingers that are clamped around. So, it, you know, it just makes my, makes my wrist hurt thinking about it. <laughs> it's terrible. I haven't used one in forever either, except as a demonstration. How about the EZ78 input-output board? Let's talk about that. Yes. Well, to start with, we were just, you know, wiring up our own harness. It's a fairly simple harness that, you know, is in the original controllers. But just to make it easier, speed up production, and take things up a notch, um, we got our engineer to lay out a little input-output board. It's just a little tiny printed circuit board, and everything's really clearly labeled. There's two resistors that go on that board, and then... There's a row right there where you, where you connect the nine wires that go back to the console. In the you know we get extension cords and chop off one end and then strip the wires back and then where exactly to wire in you know the buttons and the joystick directions and it just sped up production, made everything really nice. And since we were already buying those things by the hundreds, we thought well we should definitely make those available for people that want to make their own controllers and share what we've got. Looking at that board, it looks like. Every little piece of it is very clearly labeled. Yeah, that's right. Now, assuming that, say, I, with very basic soldering skills, like solder, maybe soldering 101, <laughs> I have the right parts at my disposal. Could I actually build a controller from scratch just using that EZ7800 board and those basic parts I have on hand? Or do you actually need a little bit more knowledge as to how things work uh, why you need to put the components in a certain order or whatever? Um, or is this basically like even the most basic beginner soldering skills are all you need for this? No, it really is that simple. It's If you can do basic uh, small soldering like that, it's it really is easy. And we had a case one time where a, a guy, we traded a dozen emails where 
he wasn't one of the buttons wasn't working and he was having these weird problems and i didn't even think to ask the right question he was the one that finally came back and said he had used a the cord off an old cx10 or cx40 which doesn't have nine wires in it it only has six and that's not enough wires you gotta you gotta have all nine wires to to the the 7800 uses all nine so that last button wasn't wasn't doing anything for him and he couldn't figure out why and it never even occurred to me to ask, like, hey, do you have nine wires? And uh, So that was the only time we've even had a problem with it. And we've sold probably 15 or 20 of those. And Albert at Atari H, or through Atari H, has sold uh, probably about the same. So it's been a nice little little product that, like you said, it's pretty inexpensive. And it makes it so easy. And the hole spacing is made so that they can fit right on the bolts that hold your joystick on, your most joysticks. So it's it's an elegant little little build and makes it easy for people that might want to build a controller. But because I'd see these threads pop up in the Atari Age forums where people would get stuck on that harness and making mistakes. And uh, since we were going to make that thing anyway, I just thought, well, let's let's make it available for everybody so that they can have that same advantage. So let's talk about the Seagull seventy eight controller adapter. Okay, so the Seagull seventy eight adapter is a it's really a pin reroute that allows you to plug a any of the Sega Genesis controllers, the basic handheld controller that you'd have to the the joystick controller that they made, or the uh, they even had. The, I think you have one, right? The sports ball or the the Sega sports pad trackball. Track oh, I don't see. I don't think they work with the Master System, but any of the actual Sega Genesis stuff, it allows you to uh, plug your Sega controller into the into the adapter, and then the adapter into your 7800, and then you get uh, two-button play. Like, it, well, as you know, any Sega Genesis controller works, gives you, you know, the button one, the left button, without any modification. So it's mainly just a pin reroute. There's a little chip in there and uh, a capacitor and a couple of resistors, but it's a little tiny board that reroutes the pins so that, so that you get that second fire button, uh, which is, you know, there's probably, what, a dozen games that use both buttons. And that was another one, like, you know, we try to make those available just as inexpensively as possible, because that was kind of our very first thing that was kind of our gift to the to the community. Like, I think we make like $3 on each one. <laughs> it's, it's really tiny. It was just something we wanted to do to make those available. And gosh, we've sold hundreds of those. They, they, they're steady, popular. Of course, they've sold a whole bunch right at the beginning. But there's, you know, we sell a few every month. And of course, I can personally attest to how welcome it is to have the Seagull 78, as I have one myself. Nice. And do you do that with that uh, Master System controller? I would use it on my um, Sega Sports Pad controller. Oh, no kidding. I didn't know that it would do that. But that's great. How about that? And the reason I say I would use it is... The trackball, something happened with the trackball. It's not meeting the rollers anymore. Oh. It's really, I would love to figure out why. I'd love to get that thing fixed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if Dan Kramer will help you with that, uh, uh, with that one. Ooh, I haven't tried this yet, but this thought just um, came into my mind. Uh, I wonder if the Seagull 78 could be used as an extension cord to plug the Atari Vox into the uh, 7800. It- I I don't know anything about its compatibility with the Atari Vox. It you know it does have a cord on it that's a couple feet long, so you definitely get a something of an extension cord just by uh, the built-in length on it. 
but I, I can't really say about the Atari box. I've never had one of those. I'll have to give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> you'll have to report back and let us know. All right, now what about the Super 78? It's a very basic. It's a single joystick, two buttons, pretty small form factor. That's right. Yeah, that's just, uh, that's exactly right. There's an easy 78 in there that handles the routing. And, a, uh, you know, the main thing is just having those feather-like controls, you know, real pro-quality arcade controls. And then in a case, you know, that's the one thing that's common to all of them is the case is both big enough to sit comfortably in your lap, like across across your legs and that or on a table tabletop coffee table or whatever and heavy enough that you don't have to hold on to the the enclosure like all the other handheld ones you're always it's always some variation of fighting to hold on to the actual controller while you work the buttons and the whole idea was to make everything large enough that and heavy enough that it would all sit just sit on your lap and light enough on the actual controls that you could have that that same touch that you have in a in an arcade where it's, you know, all you have to do is uh, apply, apply that very light pressure to the stick or to the buttons. Yeah, but so that's the that's the most simple of the controllers. Right, now looking at the pictures on your website, it looks like the Super 78 uses the same chassis as the uh, Super Twin, am I correct? Yeah, it's the exact same chassis. It's amazing that these are full-sized arcade controllers and the Super Twin 78 has two joysticks two sets of fire buttons, and such a small form factor. But if you compare that controller to the Supreme 78, really, the Supreme 78 is almost a piece of furniture. Yeah. <laughs> that either controller will, will fit comfortably on your lap, and it'll feel nice and sturdy. It really is. It's the Supreme, which is an oak case that we have a cabinet shop make the, the woodwork. Those are a little better than 18 inches wide by about... Uh, nine inches deep and then the the super cases the aluminum cases are 14 by 10 i think so yeah and it really is amazing how the super twin for what it is it's incredibly lightweight yeah well and it's funny it's amazing how much the hardware like the uh if you had a super side by side by the with a super twin you'd be amazed by how much heavier the one is and really the difference is just the control set that second control set in there so, yeah, it was a balancing act. We looked at uh, those aluminum cases. Now we we have them custom-made for us by a metal metal shop, like a bending and pressing and stamping plant. But the the first ones, and, and also if someone has something that's really custom, we get those off the shelf. They're made by Hammond Manufacturing, and, um, and you can get them from Mauser Electronics. They're in their catalog. So to start with, we ordered a couple sizes and played with them, and uh, that seemed like the best fit. There was another size up that was monstrous, and uh, it was about the size of a small desk, and that was just too much. But I agree with you. I think we hit the sweet spot as far as having that comfort level, and but still riding, sitting comfortably on your lap like it's not going to get away from you or you're not going to have to fight it at all. Okay, Ed, we need to talk about the Super Arcade Controller Plus. Please tell us about that. Yes, that was that was the result of our Kickstarter campaign that we had in 2016. Uh, launched that in 2016, and then it took us a year and a half to fulfill all the pledges. We uh, we got fully backed, which I'm extremely proud and grateful to the community for showing their support. Ended up getting 72 pledges, and what that is is a multi-console controller that will drive an Atari 2600 or 7800, just like all the 7800 line. 
And then there's also outputs for the classic 80s ColecoVision, the original ColecoVision, and the ColecoVision flashback, which uh, the flashbacks, you know, all the Atari flashbacks, use the, you could use any Atari controller on any Atari flashback. For some reason, I don't know why they did this, but the ColecoVision flashback, you could only use the little controller that came in with it, which is kind of a scaled-down replica of the original Coleco controller, but is is wired differently internally. So this thing will will drive all four of those consoles, plus all you know any of the other things that a, an Atari controller you could use with, like you know Commodore sixty four or so on. Uh, so it's got three outputs for for those consoles, and then it's got the onboard arcade controls. It's kind of laid out more like a Super 78. The stick is on the left, and then there's four buttons. And optionally, there's also another pair of buttons that the the user can choose or the buyer. And it replicates the actions of the Super Action Controller, which was that uh, it was an accessory controller that ColecoVision Coleco made that had instead of just a left and right button, it also it had two more buttons, and then it had a thumb wheel that you could spin to the left or right. And the thumb wheel, you only use that, it was literally three games, the football, baseball, and soccer games, and it would make your guy run faster down the bases. And I looked at trying to do an actual thumb wheel, but I couldn't find a way to do that, you know, in our price point. And so what we did was kind of emulated that by having a left button and a right button that work like track and field, where the faster you tap, the faster you go. And so anyway, so there's four fire buttons, and the, the four fire buttons you do use on more games, like the... They have a uh, ColecoVision has a fantastic Spy Hunter port and um, the Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator. Two really great games. Like I'm not that much of a sports game guy, but the, I really love those two games since you use all, all four fire buttons and then you've got the the thumb wheels or the speed buttons is what we call them. You know, I guess I guess there's might be somebody out there that really likes ColecoVision football and still plays that, but they're kind of on there just for fun. And then, so that's the main control set. There's also a set of four inputs, DB9 inputs, uh, nine-pin inputs on the front so that you could use any Atari controller, any ColecoVision controller, that, those, those little ColecoVision flashback controllers, or any Genesis controller. And it would, you could plug any of those into the row of uh, connectors on the front, and then they, uh, you could drive any of the, the four consoles out the back with it. So you could use a... And that was so that, like, if people had a, their favorite stick is like a slick stick or a, a Wicko or, you know, any of the, especially on the Atari side, there were so many controllers made early on. If they want to be able to use that on their ColecoVision flashback, it'll pass through and um, route the controls correctly. And what's actually in there, as it turns out, the ColecoVision and the flashback both do it, handle the signals very differently. And so it's it's a, a microprocessor that's emulating everything. Like, uh, you know, all the rest of the controllers, it's just a really a box of switches. And when you open the switch, the signal runs from the console and back to the console and says, go left or whatever. But on the, on the ColecoVision, it's way more complicated. It uses a four-space code system using a 16-diode array. <laughs> and so, so yeah, there was there's no direct translation, so... I work with this brilliant engineer, and he came up with a way to emulate all the inputs to all of the outputs, so that all those things can talk to each other. And that's a it's a beast, and it's a beast to wire those things. It, it really it's a good four to five hours to build one of those. But they've been really popular. They we got a lot of pledges during the campaign, and 
Uh, we just in April finally started working on the kick or the wait list. You know, as soon as the campaign ended, we immediately had people saying, "Oh, I missed the Kickstarter campaign. Can I still get one of these?" And so I started assembling this wait list, and uh, we finally started serving the wait list here in April. And I've been surprised at how many people wanted the Super Arcade Controller Plus um, as a result coming out of that. All right, so follow me here. Uh- Am I correct in assuming that you could theoretically have one of these Super Arcade Controller Plus units uh, and connect it to multiple different consoles, each one playing a different game, all at the same time, and you could actually play all those games at the same time using just one controller? I'm not saying you could do it well, but I, and, but you could actually control all those games at once? Um, I think you are. You know, I, <laughs> I've never done it, but... Uh... I do remember Willie Culver once time. Uh, I sent him, he was actually uh, the very first person to pledge on it, and so I sent it to him, and he had one hooked up to both the flashback and the classic ColecoVision, and, and yeah, you could move the stick, and he picked a game that was on both systems. He could drive both at the same time, which was, was kind of crazy. So, yeah, you, you really could. You really could multi-consoles all at the same time. One thing we learned is that the old ColecoVisions are, some of them are a little glitchy, like they have a pair of chips inside to handle the player one and player two control set. And depending on the status of your particular ColecoVision, there's a dozen games, it's literally 12, that the emulation, it gets problematic with it. And so there's a dozen games that may or may not work, depending on which exact ColecoVision you had. And this was really shocking because we spent all this time trying to, you know, work all the bugs out. And, at, you know, it was with Willie Culver, you know, from the Arcade USA and the Toy Tomb podcast and previously the ColecoVisions podcast, among several others. He's been incredibly helpful at every stage. And he had two ColecoVision consoles and he found that that Super Arcade Controller Plus, which we, we call it the SAC Plus just for convenience, the SAC Plus, it would work flawlessly on one ColecoVision, and then his other ColecoVision, those, some of those games would not work properly. Like it would give false signals down and to the left would trigger a pause, and so you'd get kicked out of the game, <laughs> which is really kind of weird stuff. And so out of all that, we thought, okay, well, let's, let's back it up. We had all these uh, delusions of grandeur to make a Star Wars reference and you know, tried to make this controller that would do all this different stuff, but what if we just made a very basic ColecoVision-only controller? And in the middle of the Kickstarter campaign, we designed and started building another controller altogether that wasn't even in the plan, which is electrically replicates a um, Super Action controller. And we couldn't do the thumb wheel speed buttons because that's an emulated thing as well. But the four fire buttons and the stick and the keypad, you know, ColecoVision's all had a 12-key keypad, there's literally 16 diodes in there, and when you press a button or press that keypad, it converts that into, you know, a, a four-character code of, you know, 1011 or whatever and tells the console, hey, that's a, you know, number three just got pushed. And so it's just super simple, and that thing's been bulletproof. It's worked with every single game. And so for us, it was just like, okay, here are the 12 games, and if you're a, you know, gigantic fan of one of these 12 games, this is probably the... The simpler controller is probably the one for you. And the truth is, most of those 12 games are weird, obscure games, but one of them is the ColecoVision's port of 
or Atari's port to ColecoVision of Defender, which is a great game, you know, huge top quality game. And so I was really sad that that one was glitchy. So the that that's what gave us our Super CV controller, which only serves the classic ColecoVision. It's quite a bit less expensive because it's a lot easier to build. And that was the second one where we ended up with building this little board. It's a little more, little bigger than the Easy 78, but we ended up with an Easy CV board. And so we sell that as a kit as well, where you can just have the little board and we sell the keypad with it. It's a little stick-on membrane keypad so that people can, hobbyists can make their own. And we sold uh, a few of those too. So that's been interesting. Okay, and uh, the Supreme All Play, that thing has a really nice wood casing. I really love it. It's beautiful. But something that I found really striking when I unboxed the Super Twin, and actually it looks like it's on all of the controllers that use that metal casing. It's a rather lovely, um, I'm assuming, caricature of the one, the only Ed <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. That's uh, everything you see, everything that you see when you look at one of our controllers and you think, hey, that looks cool. You know, any of the artwork, the labeling, the genie, the side art, any of that stuff, that's all the brilliance of a guy named Bill Reeves. Uh, we both work, used to work together at the University of Georgia. He was in the in the printing department, and so we would do, uh, and I worked in with the residence halls, and so we'd, we started working together on, you know, like posters and different promotional items, and he ended up retiring, and my father passed on, and I took over the family business and, you know, over to where I am now, and we're still neighbors, and so we continued to do projects together. And so anything you see that is like, wow, that looks amazing, that's Bill Reeves' talent right there. It, he's amazing. He really is. I'll, I'll send him, like, a sketch in a notebook that looks like a stick man space battle. <laughs> Just terrible. Looks like half scribbles. And he'll come back with things that, I'm not kidding, actually exceed, like, in my mind I see something better than my own drawing. And then he comes back with something that goes way past even what I imagined, which is just wonderful. It's a it's a really fun collaboration, and he's really fun to work with. And everything I've ever thought of, he's taken it ten steps further, and made it amazing. And <laughs> well, please give Bill my compliments. Yeah, I'll pass that on. He's he's the genius behind it all, and even you know, like the genie. <laughs> that's me. That's me as a genie. He he thought that. Kind of as a joke, <laughs> the glasses and just the sort of the face, like a caricature version of me. He kind of did that as a joke, and I was like, well, that's it's pretty hilarious, Bill. I think we might have to roll with that. So. <laughs> did Bill also come up with the name Ed Ladin, uh, basically after he drew that caricature, or did you come up with it first? That was mine. Yeah, that was that was my idea, Ed Ladin. Because I'd always gone to Aladdin's castles as a kid. And oh, I'd always dreamed of, of even before Aladdin controllers, I always thought if I ever had a home arcade with a bunch of coin-op machines, I would call it Aladdin's castle. And so that's where it came from, right there. Will the ColecoVision controllers be available for general sale? Because I see that right now you have to be on a wait list or something. Yes, absolutely. Yes, uh, we finally gotten this, you know finally gotten this ColecoVision thing is almost, you know, the wait list is sort of the last big hurdle. I think we'll have that whole Kickstarter digested and um, those controllers will both be in this, the store. They're actually up on the website now, but you can only order them if you have the, a wait list special code. Uh, but you can kind of get a preview if you're a ColecoVision fan or, or see that SAC Plus multi-console controller. The next big thing 
the big holy grail item for me especially because I'm an old, you know, I got my 5200, I don't remember what, it must have been 82 or 83, is, will be an, a 5200 controller. I really, that's the next thing I want to do. I know there will be plenty of people who will basically bow down and hosanna you for doing that. <laughs> well, somebody in the Atari Age forums once said that if I really produced a, a 5200 controller that was as nice as the others, that someone would, that they would put up a statue <laughs> to me. <laughs> Which, that cracked me up. But yeah, I really, what I, my plan for that is to use the, the same aluminum case, the super case, and put the joystick in the middle like the Supreme orientation. So you'll have this ambidextrous with a pair of buttons, matching buttons on either side so you can switch left hand, right hand. Of course, the keypad and the three function buttons as far as start, reset, and pause. And then the joystick will be an analog self-centering stick. Thank you. And then I really want to put a paddle controller because, of course, it's an analog stick. And so I want to put a potentiometer based uh, paddle uh, wheel on there for the x-axis so that super breakout pull position um, all of the horizontal slider games like you know uh, galaxia and space invaders any of those games where you're just going left and right you'll be able to play using that knob so that's what i want to do for the super 52 is to deliver a 5200 controller to the world you know what once this Super 52 controller is ready to go, somebody should design a brand new 5200 console, a full video game console, that, just like the original 5200, would come with built-in controller storage, but storage that would specifically be built to hold your Super 52 controller. Oh, <laughs> that thing will be like this. It'll be like it'll have to have feet and legs and stuff, <laughs> casters. <laughs> <laughs> well, market it as a piece of furniture or something. That's a good idea. I like it. Uh, we could sell it as a piece of furniture, controller and 5200 all built into one. You know, I did have a 5200 for a short time, but the controller was one big reason that I got rid of it. But the Super 52 might be reason enough to want me to get a 5200 again. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I have a 5200. I don't have my original one. It disappeared. My folks moved while I was off at college and... It disappeared during the move, which made me really sad. I do still have my original 2600, but the 5200 was gone. But anyway, I've gotten a couple of them on eBay over the last few years and built a nice cart collection, and I love those games. It really is, my, I think, my favorite Atari console because of the, you know, the graphics are not quite as solid as the 7800, but the sound, you know, there's a pokey chip on board, so there's great music and great sound on every single game, and... That takes it up quite a notch, but you know those controllers. It's just, and I have a good pair. I got, I sent them to Best Electronics and got them rebuilt by those guys with the gold strips in there, and they work really w as well as they ever had. But it's, you know, it's still a wonky controller, and so really looking forward to having my own. You know, I, I want that Super Fifty Two for my own use as much as uh, to be able to offer anybody else did i not hear a rumor that these parts may also build a vectrex controller someday well yeah that's that's another thing that uh you know the vectrex also used an analog stick and i figured part of the reason of the order of doing these like the ColecoVision controller gave us our keypad which we had to uh we get as much of our stuff built in the united states as possible including the printed circuit boards and having them populated uh, those are both done, one's a company in Milwaukee and the other one's in Indiana. 
and then the actual keypads come from China. And and you know if you're going to get anything from China, it's always 500 pieces at a time. So we did the Coleco first to get that keypad that we could also then use on the 5200, and the 5200 will give us our analog stick. And so then I think it should be pretty easy to build a an analog um, stick for the Vectrex, which I've never had a Vectrex. I've always thought they were cool, and I've always wanted one. And so uh, that would be the next thing I'd like to do would be to build a controller for the Vectrex that would have that analog stick and the four fire buttons. could probably use the same case that we use for the uh, Super CV. So we've got the case in place as well as far as getting... All that okay, we need to get some crowdfunding together and get you a Vectrex. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Even in between, like in the last five years, the Vectrexes have gone out of sight. And I don't know what it'll take to, to be able to buy an actual Vectrex just to figure out the wiring on. But um, those things have gone crazy in the last few years. But they're, it seems like such a great machine. And then there's, um, what's that guy in your neighborhood? Makes a multi-cart for the, uh, his name's Kelly, isn't it? Yep, Sean Kelly. He's got a video game store uh, not far from here in Harwood Heights, Illinois, and it's called Video Games Then and Now. And he does Vectrex multi-carts. There's version 3 for the Vectrex, and it has every title ever officially released for the Vectrex because uh, some time ago GCE or whoever owns the GCE name released all the games as freeware, basically. And um, Sean's multi-cart actually has a lot of homebrews on it, too. Oh, yeah? What's the status? Well, the cart exists. It's available for sale. In fact, he just put some on eBay not long ago that have clear cases. So, naturally, I bought one from there. Uh, Actually, I did go to his store, and I said, hey, I'm interested in buying that clear case. When he said, oh, you know what? I don't have them with me. They're at home. Uh, If you can come back in a couple of days, I might bring one here for the store. I was like, yeah, but I can't get out there that frequently. But, yeah, talk about the Vectrex prices. Uh, It was uh, Midwest Gaming Classic 2017, so last year I saw Sean there. He was uh, representing his store, and I commented how it's just sad for me personally that nobody there had a Vectrex under 400 bucks. And uh, he laughed, and he said, you know what? I feel bad because I was just about to offer you this boxed one for 450. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, well, so there you go. I mean, you've got Sean Kelly's amazing uh, multi-cart for the Vectrex and it's like you said the Vectrexes themselves they're just uh, got gone out of sight and I don't know if that's a bubble or if there's a really a true interest in the system that didn't exist before or well I don't know if it's a bubble or what but it's really something to think that at one point stores were selling the Vectrex for only 50 bucks I think I heard when they were kind of um reaching end yeah. of life <laughs> yeah but now if you want to get one you'll have to save up between 300 and 400 dollars and uh, i'm sure there are a lot of people with stories like mine i'm sure you've heard me talk about this before but back in the mid 80s i had a vectrex that uh, a couple of older cousins of mine handed down to me this was about 1983 maybe 1984 well because they got tired of it they didn't play it anymore so they gave it to me and it came with two controllers and uh, maybe five games complete in box, uh, cartridge manuals, overlays, uh, the little paper sleeves you put the overlays in, plastic molds, everything. So um, after a few years, I wasn't really using it that much, but my uh, five-year-old cousin Alex played it a lot one time when we had family over for Thanksgiving or something. And uh, my mom said to me, hey, uh, you know what? You don't use that Vectrex much anymore, do you? And I said, nah, not really. 
She said, well, I think Alex really likes it. Maybe you can let him take it home with him. And of course I said, you know what? That's a great idea. <laughs> oh man. A giveaway that you regret. <laughs> yeah. It was a great idea that I regretted years later. Yeah. I have a few of those. Well, it's not just the Vectrix itself that skyrocketed in price, but also the controllers. I mean, man, you can't get a Vectrex controller for under $100 these days. Yeah, I saw that too. Naturally, my first thought was, well, I really want to get a second controller, but man, I don't want to spend $100 on that. Oh, you know what? Let me see if there's an Ed Ladin Vectrex controller on the horizon. And of course, it hit me that, yeah, I'd probably be paying well over $100 for that. <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer. And certainly, you know, because the thing with any of these controllers, at the, certainly at the beginning especially, I was like, I can't. I don't know if anybody will spend one hundred and twenty dollars on a on a game controller. It's a lot of money, and I would have to think really hard if I was buying one rather than building one. Then, and, and but if if you've got to pay a hundred bucks for an ancient and scarce, it's not like there's a all you want at a hundred dollars. It's still there's one over here and one over there, and thirty five year old parts just aren't. You know, they're just not as clean and clicky as they ought to be. So, it seems like a thing that. Uh, where the, the market would be receptive, it seems like to me. And that's the thing, too. The controller that came with my current Vectrex is okay, but it's not 100% great. Uh, if I spend $100 on another official Vectrex controller, though, how long is that going to last? Yeah. And uh, those things aren't the easiest thing in the world to fix, either. Yeah, I, well, hopefully that when you, know, when you make an investment and spend that much on a controller, hopefully that thing's going to last a lifetime. Hopefully it's going to be rock solid and, and give you years and years of gameplay. And it's funny when I was a kid, my mom was like, "Oh, you'll get tired of this," and it hasn't really happened. <laughs> I've had phases where I've been more into it and less into it, but it's never really gone away. And I, I still reach for that thing. I still do all these years later. Here I am, nearly pushing, just pushing fifty, and still of those original. I have my. My original Space Invaders that I bought right after the I bought the console, you know, when I was 11 years old, and I still love that game. It's it's crazy. So hopefully it'll be something that'll last you a lifetime. That's that's what we shoot for. And and really, I really feel like these controllers will transform the gameplay on really amazing games that just suffered both with the 7800 and the 5200 suffered from crappy controllers that. You know, it it what it told you was that the people at Atari at that time were not gamers, not not the engineers I'm talking about, but the marketing people and the higher ups were not gamers at all and didn't understand. Like I don't understand why Atari themselves was didn't have their own arcade controller line. It would have been a premium priced item, but they could have advertised it as built by, you know, right out of their own arcade division with their own arcade parts. It'd be a uh, those things would sell themselves and. I don't know how many they would have really sold, but you have to believe they would have sold a huge number of them. And uh, it seemed like a, a giant missed opportunity that, to me, just makes it clear that, you know, once Nolan Bushnell was gone, and I, th I think the engineers were still, they were their hearts were really in it, but one of those marketing guys and that, you know, they brought in after Warners took over, I don't think they, I don't think they were gamers at all, and I don't think they really understood. They should have been doing that. I you know, we ought to be able to buy the controllers that I build now off eBay from directly with Atari brand on them back from the 70s. They would have made a mint. One other console that catches a lot of hell for its controllers is the Intellivision. 
What are the chances that there will be um, an Ed Ladin in television controller somewhere down the line? Well, Intellivision is tricky because I have to say I've never never owned an Intellivision and have very little time playing on them. But of course, they have their own dedicated community. I know enough about them to know that there's only one model that the controllers are not hardwired in, which you know kind of complicates the whole the whole idea. You know, most of them the controllers are hardwired on those you know curly phone cords, and so that makes it really tough to sell us you know third-party controller to those people. One model does. Uh, I was talking to Rick from the Intellivisionaries podcast about this in a chat one time, and he said there's one console that does. I've actually found a joystick that would work really well. The interesting thing about the Intellivision is that that disc is a 16-position disc, and there's a company called Ultimark out of uh, UK that makes a has a lot of really great a lot of great controllers that they that they build themselves and and so on, but they have a what's called a Hall Effect joystick, which is there's actually aside from the, the you know the shaft moves around, but there's no moving connectors on the inside. Like there's no switches, there's no potentiometers that are being mechanically moved around like all the other controllers we've been talking about. What there is is there's a the thing detects the change in magnetic field. There's a magnet on the end of the shaft. And sensors all the way around, and as you move closer or farther away, it, the signals change in that magnetic field. And so it can be as sensitive as you like, or like you can, it comes with software that you can map out and have 16 zones instead of four or eight, or you can tell it to have different things or to operate as an analog stick. It's, it's sort of programmable in that way, but it's an expensive, you know, it's a $70 joystick, just the joystick. <laughs> which you know radically pushes the price point up on if you're going to build a whole controller around that. That's kind of the the hurdle with the Intellivision is the hardwired thing. You lose a lot of your customers because they'd have to send it to you, or you know they'd have to do some modding to to the Intellivision to to detach the original controllers. You know, put a port there instead of the hard wire. And then the one really good joystick that would really really step up to bat you know deliver the premium experience is just super expensive but um so that one is kind of always floated on the back burner for me and and you know honestly also just because i'm i never was that you know much into the own television myself so that's part of it too you end up chasing the ones like i was i always wanted a coleco vision as a kid i couldn't afford one but that was part of why I wanted to pursue that going forward. Was like, hey, this is an excuse, kind of like the Vectrix. It'll be like, hey, wife, <laughs> this is a, this is the reason I need a three hundred dollar Vectrix. <laughs> but it's easier when you're spending the company's money. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, thankfully my wife was very understanding. It was Christmas money that I'd saved up, so there we nice. go. Nice, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, justifications we come up with it's still like we were 10 years old still <laughs> yeah also through your website you sell an extension cord is that a, that's basically just what it is right just an extension cord yeah yeah yep. we to to provide the cords for all the other stuff we buy them by the case they come from china mm. um well, that, that, okay i guess that makes sense yeah yeah so we just thought well we've got these cords we might, might as, as well, well <laughs> throw them up there and I wish, honestly, I wish they were better cords. They're not as high quality and they're not as heavy as the original. Like if you take a CX40 cord or a 
even a CX-24, you know, Proline cord, they've got a lot more weight to them and they're built at a different standard, but it's just, that's what you can get. And we're too small to have cords made, you know, sure. something like that. You've got to be knocking them out by the thousands and very proud to be at the 200 mark, but <laughs> you know, it's just not enough to have them made ourselves. Something I need to ask you, it's kind of been going around the back of my head. You keep saying we, this, we, that, we, that, like, do you consider your products to be homebrew products or since you're saying we, like you consider it a company or. Well, it is a company and there's a, uh... It's a tiny company. There's four of us. Uh, we have an office lady and a technician. The technician, honestly, he's been with us 30. This is our 40th year in business as far as the family business overall. Certainly haven't. The controllers only came along relatively recently, but he doesn't actually build most many of these products. It's mostly, as far as actual Aladdin stuff, it's me and then my sister It works in the, the business as well. And so it's one of the two of us have built everything that you uh, that you might get from Ed Ladin. So, mm-hmm. and then we have a we have another pair of guys who are part timers that come in for projects and so on, knock out a bunch of something. Uh, so it's four full time people and a couple of uh, part timers. So it's it's a teeny tiny business. I wondered about that. It's a funny thing. The whole idea of uh, am I a homebrew thing or are we a proper corporation or whatever like i mean legally on paper we are but uh Atlatin is such a such a tiny part of of the whole enterprise that um i kind of think of it as it has the heart of a homebrew even if it is a, a bigger slightly bigger company i do have to say though one of the things it struck me after i got my 7800 and realized the pro lines were so terrible you know my first thing was oh i'll just go find a wicko or one of the other <laughs> third-party controllers that was that was came out for the 7800. Just assuming because I knew there was there were a million controllers for the 2600, and then quite a few less for the 5200. But there were still lots of choices, and I was so shocked to go online and then I went researching at Atari Age, and it, there were no third-party controllers. It didn't seem like that were ever came yep. out for those. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could be the first. We could be the first third-party controller builder for the 7800 and have that tiny piece of history. (laughs) There you go. There you go. And the only things, I think there was Uber Arcade, but those are very, very limited. I think only a handful of those were made. Yeah, and we announced, that's right. So he came, we announced right at the same time. I took a little bit of grief because I'd been doing all this research and gathering parts and R&D and all that all summer. And then uh, he announced in Atari Age in the forums that he was going to make a controller. And I announced right after that. And people were like, well, who the heck are you? And I've just been lurking all those years in (laughs) in the forums. So rightly so. He was a much more active member of the community. And I was this this nobody that came along. But um, (laughs) So I definitely earned whatever fury came my way <laughs> but hopefully we've proven ourselves by now yeah absolutely I mean, yeah and the uber arcade for for what it's worth that those sticks were pretty freaking amazing too they really were they look great and i loved his yeah you know i love that they look just like you know he he kept the sort of art style as if they were an atari 7800 like in the line and i was envious that you know i was afraid to go that close to you know those copyrights and that and that sort of thing, you know, which you can get away with in a homebrew environment, I guess. But 
I was nervous about it. And then, of course, once he was sure. going to do it, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to just, <laughs> that would be a jerky thing to do. So I thought they were super cool looking, and everybody said they were great. I was kind of sad that he didn't keep on with that, because um, it seemed like it was another valuable resource to the community, and I want to keep making these things as long as I can, but, you know, I'm an, <laughs> you know middle-aged fat guy, so <laughs> sooner or later... <laughs> going to step out in front of the beer truck and then uh, you know it'd be great if uber arcade were still there uh, making resources available to people if i'm not available the easy 78 io board hopefully will uh, uh alleviate that problem um if that if that problem ever happens at least yeah that's people right. say hey no, never fear i have one yeah that's right the easy 78 and we'll keep doing that too all these little you know the vectrex and then and the super 52 they'll all end up with their own PCB and it's definitely our plan to continue to make those available so that people can uh, have that resource and, and be able to do their own thing. Um, sure. I just want people to be able to play the games the way they were meant to be played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, with that, I don't want to take up any more of your, your time on a Sunday night, especially because you're, you're an hour ahead of me. So <laughs> do you have any final parting words, like something you want people, if there's one thing people need to know about Ed Ladin, what is that one thing? Oh my, um, you know, we're a little tiny family business. We really appreciate the support. It uh, really, really brings me a lot of joy and it's a lot of fun to see people talking about them. The whole thing's just been a blast. And so I guess, I guess the, yeah, the, the, the final thing would be thank you. You know, it's been a great four years coming up on four years of doing Atlantic mm. controllers. And again, the, the, the idea we've sold a couple hundred of these and hundreds of the little seagull adapters, you know, it's just kind of mind blowing. And uh, I'm grateful to have been able to be of service to everybody. Um, it, it just, brings me an irrational amount of joy to see like your pictures from the Midwest gaming classic or one of the Atari parties or the eight bit party that was just in Atlanta, which I'm blanking on the name of it now. Um, gosh, anyway, to, to see them show up in other people's Facebook photos and, and Portland retro game expo at, at, at Albert's booth, you know, I'm so proud to be in the Atari age store. You know, that was like being on the, cover of the rolling stone for me sure <laughs> you know to have that happen so it w- none of this would have happened without you guys i uh, really appreciate it and thank you very much and i thank you very much as uh, ed Lydon is a sponsor of this podcast and oh, one further question I, I i know i asked you this a long time ago but for people listening on my um supreme 78 there's a little springy compartment that looks like if it were a piece of furniture it would be like a magnetic door holder yes the idea of that was to uh, that the control panel should have a magnetic catch to keep it latched down. Uh, yours was in the last batch that we actually put that on there at all. So. Oh, okay. Oh, so I have a collector's item. You now. do. You have a you have a collector's item that is not on there at all anymore. Um, well, let's see eBay.com. <laughs> that's right. Get a picture. That's right. Rare Ed Ladin control. Get that Steve Jobs thing going and be like, oh, mine's. <laughs> I can tell it's from. The panel is so heavy, I just thought, this is silly. Because it didn't even work that well, to be honest with you, because the, the curve of the panel, and we just did away with it, and it, nobody doesn't seem to matter at all. And um, Sure. So that's what that is. Um, Ed, um, I am going to call it a night, and thank you so much for your time. Th- and thank you for being the first ever 
exclusive guest to the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Oh, really? Am I? No kidding. Well, that's Yes, awesome. you are. <laughs> yeah, we, we, had, we had Jeff Lee before, but he was not exclusive. Uh-oh. You are exclusive. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, the, the honor is all mine. I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> all right, well, thanks, John. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this stuff. You know, oh, likewise, huge honor. Take care, buddy. And you know what that sound means, don't you? <laughs> Actually, no, you don't. In fact, I don't either. But regardless, uh, it is time for some feedback about the Adladen controllers. So uh, let me start with the folks over on Atari.io. Willie, who himself has several dozen, what, what he, he hosts like what a dozen different shows on YouTube and podcasts and stuff. But Willie says, Ed makes some great stuff for our beloved old consoles. Oh yes, indeed he does. Thank you, Willie. And Gray Defender says, hi, Sean, about three years ago, I actually won the super twin 78 Ed Ladin controller from a contest put on by Phil, the no swear gamer. From the Atari 7800 Game by Game podcast and sponsored by EdLadden.com. Thank you, Phil and Ed Ladin. Oh, you were the guy. Okay. I remember Phil was bragging about his uh, Robotron score with that. Uh, anyway, going on, Great Defender says, It was great to win the Super Twin 78 since it supports two-player games and games like Robotron 2084. This one has more of a metallic design all around and came with really nice side decals. Prior to that, I had already purchased the Supreme 78 AllPlay 4.8. I liked the design of this controller in particular, since it was more geared towards single-player games, was ambidextrous, supported four or eight directions. This controller has a wooden base. The lid can be lifted up, allowing access to switch between four and eight directional play. I love both of the controllers and go back to them often. The only bad thing about owning them is that they are not compact, meaning they take up a decent amount of space, so that needs to be taken into consideration. After owning the Supreme 78 All-Play 4.8 for about three years, I was pleasantly surprised to receive a letter from Ed Ladin last year. In it, I was informed that I own serial number one, and it included a certificate of authenticity. How cool is that? Ed Kelly later told me the service tags idea was born out of the Kickstarter campaigns. Speaking of Kickstarters, Ed Ladin successfully ran one for a ColecoVision controller funded February 19, 2016 with 72 backers. $12,302 was raised. Good lord. I pledged for the Coleco Super CV, received it, but have not made time to test it out, but I am curious to hear how well it works from others in this podcast. Recapping, Ed Ladin puts out quality controllers. They work great on both the Atari 2600 and 7800 consoles. I've also had a blast connecting them for use on the Commodore 64. Ed Kelly himself is responsive and personable. These arcade-style controllers are definitely worth the money, in my opinion. Thank you, Gray Defender. And he posted a couple of pictures of his controllers. He has the picture of the uh, plate from his Supreme 78 um, let's see. He put his in a slightly different position from where I put, I put mine in the back. He put his in the front. My serial number, let's see, is 11. Yeah. I also got that letter from Ed as well. Not terribly long ago, along with the decals and all that. So yeah, I got number 11 in mine and, uh, I echo, um, great offenders request, by the way, if you have this, if you have the Coleco super CV, let me know how that thing works. Let me know what you think about it. 
And if I switch gears over to Atari age, I got a lot of responses there. Johnny British says one word, quality. I'm not the guy who spends time and dollars buying expensive joysticks, but as a longtime Robotron fan, an Edlen dual controller was on the cards. I liked that I could customize button colors, etc., and get that real arcade feel. I would buy another Ed Laden product without hesitation. Robotron on 7800 with Ed Laden is simply awesome. Yes, they are not cheap, but it enhances the gameplay so well, it is worth the dollars spent. And thank you for that, Johnny British. Did I mention that, by the way? That, yeah, you could, when you order one of uh, Ed's controllers, you can actually specify pretty much everything in terms of the joystick and the buttons. You can specify joystick on the left, buttons on the right, joystick on the right, buttons on the left. You can specify joystick ball top color button color and there are a lot of great options on there i really love that uh, like for example my supreme 7848 i have a red gem ball top so it's kind of glassy looking and i have red and white fire buttons on that and i have red and white fire buttons on my uh super twin and a blue gem ball top on, on it. it looks really really awesome especially with the color scheme of the chassis itself. And yeah, going back to Great Offender, yeah, that is something important to think about too, is that uh, the Supreme 78 Allplay 4.8 does take up a lot of room. Uh, I don't really have a good place to store it, so I just kind of stand it up uh, under my desk. But the uh, Super Twin actually does fit nicely in a little, uh, oh, what do you call these things? A little rolling cart that I just bought not too long ago. But thanks again, Johnny Branch. And Swami says the 7800 Pro Line controllers have the nickname Pain Line controllers, of course. I have the Seagull 78 adapter, which opens up a vast landscape of controllers for use on the Atari 7800. I've used it with Genesis and Amiga joysticks, as well as USB PSX to Amiga adapters that let you use USB or PlayStation 1-2 controllers with your 7800 with two buttons. Also, with the SMS Rapid Fire and Seagull 78 adapter, you can use SMS controllers with your 7800. There are also NES and SNES to Genesis adapters. The list goes on and on with this Ed Laden adapter. Just pick your favorite retro controller. One or two others have made the Genesis to 7800 adapter available for a time in the past, but Ed Laden has made it available to the community consistently for years. I'm eagerly awaiting the new ColecoVision and 5200 arcade controller adapter offerings in the works. And thank you, Swami. I don't think I really have anything to add to that that wasn't already said, uh, except you mentioned that Amiga joystick. I know there's a, shoot, I forgot what website it was. It might have been Amiga Kit, where there's a two fire button joystick, and I had wondered if that would work on a 7800. And it looks like maybe that's the one I'm thinking about, and you can use it with the Seagull 78 adapter. Next up, we have S. Ramirez 2008, who says, Excellent, and a little thumbs up icon. My wife and boys surprised me with the Supreme 78 Allplay 4.8 controller a couple of years ago. I love that controller. The build quality is top notch, and it couldn't be any easier to switch between four or eight way games. I was so happy with that controller that I promptly purchased the Super Twin 78. In my opinion, the Super Twin truly brings home the Robotron arcade experience. The gameplay becomes so fluid that it feels like the game and controller were made side by side back in the day. The Super Twin also provides true independent Player 1 and Player 2 support so you can use it with any number of games. 
I also own the Seagull 78 controller adapter and use it with my Sega Genesis 3 button and Sega Genesis arcade power stick. The Proline controllers become a thing of the past with this adapter. Here's hoping that Ed Ladin can set aside some time to work on a Supreme 5200 controller smiley face. And uh, Estramir's 2008 also includes three pictures, uh, one each of his Ed Ladin products. And what can I say, Estramir's 2008, other than you have a family that is really, really, really good to you. <laughs> Getting you that Supreme All Play, that is just an awesome present. It really is. And as for that Supreme 5200 controller you mentioned, uh, it really pains me to say this, but that just might prompt me to give the 5200 another try. I had one for a short time, and I, I just didn't like it. And part of the reason was the controller. And I even had a 5200 Wicko command controller, and even that joystick I didn't like very much. But thanks again, S. Ramirez 2008. And we move on to Trevor. Seagull 78 is a great product. If you're one who swaps out controllers often or uses an Atari Vox, you can interchange devices with the Seagull in place seamlessly. Literally, all Genesis-compatible gamepads and joysticks instantly can be used on the 7800 with no modifications required, having buttons B and C mapped to 1 and 2, respectively. Highly recommended. Space has been the only real deterrent from obtaining a full-blown joystick controller. That easy-to-change 4-way to 8-way switchable controller is very appealing, though. I have to admit, a little envious of S. Ramirez 2008 setup and seeing his post above, and have no doubt my review would be similar. Top-notch quality indeed comes with Edladen products. A little out of the realm of the 7800, but still related to classic gaming and certainly in line with the topic, Ed goes way above and beyond in the customer service area for other platforms too. It would take a book to write up the amount of support and research that went into troubleshooting and rectifying some corner case games with the ColecoVision controllers and making them as compatible as possible with all titles available. The amount of work, including hardware workarounds and replacements or alternatives offered, was almost overwhelming to read alone. Fantastic communications, very transparent dealings. Understandably, on the surface, the casual gamer may balk at the notion of paying three digits for a joystick, but you'll be hard-pressed to find anything that comes close to the workmanship and support that comes with purchasing an Ed Ladin controller. And Trevor includes a link to a thread, and he says, it's all you need to know about Ed Ladin's work ethic and delivery of quality products. And uh, I'm going to open that link really quickly just to see, and... Uh, Okay, it's a 16-page thread detailing the Ed Ladin ColecoVision controller Kickstarter. So uh, I'm going to link that in the show notes, obviously. And Trevor, I thank you so much for your thoughts. Uh, you see, some helpful advice that I once got from the No Swear Gamer was when someone contacts you about your podcast, don't just read that person's feedback without responding, or else it won't really feel personal to the listener. And the thing is, this episode is really hard to give everybody a unique response because everybody pretty much says the same thing. <laughs> and, and I guess that's a good thing because nobody is saying anything less than wonderful about these products. And I, I have to agree. I own three, at least three Ed Lydon products. I have the, uh, like I said before, I have the all, Supreme 78 All Play 4.8. I have the Super Twin and I have the Seagull 78. And I think... I don't remember, but I might have gotten an uh, extension cable from Ed too, but I don't remember for sure. And every single one of those, the, the it was 
money extremely well spent. Some of the wisest purchases I ever made. But anyway, going back, uh, Bido Empire says, I recently got a Seagull 78 and I'm really happy with it. Plug and play. The way I have my console set up, a little ways away from the TV, the 78 also functions as a convenient controller cord extension. I use an ASCIiWare Jenny joystick, and for some games it's a real godsend. The Seagull 78 is totally worth the money. I don't use the Pro Lines at all anymore. I would like to find a Jenny arcade stick with a stick on the right. For some games, I'd prefer a right-handed control, but it's not a deal breaker. And uh, thank you, Bido Empire. And yeah, I too, I was very, one of the reasons I didn't really just swap out my controller with something else is that most controllers that you get now are like force you to be left-handed. They stick the joystick on the left and the buttons on the right. I can't play like that except for Donkey Kong because I grew up playing video like in the arcades i usually played ambidextrous games like uh pac-man for example super pac-man and oh man what else uh i played centipede a lot too and that's uh with the trackball on the right and the buttons on the left so and in the atari 2600 of course main controller on the right button on the left and that's what i grew up playing the only thing that really was left-handed that i played was nintendo games and that was it and that's one reason I didn't really want to get a uh, NES because I didn't like that it had left-handed controllers. But yeah, and that's one of the nice things about the Ed Lydon products is that you can actually specify which side the joystick goes on. And that was true of the Uber Arcade too. That man, that was an awesome controller. It's too bad they don't make those anymore. But that was a great controller for. That was a great eight-way controller that I can't. I also can't say enough nice things about. But thank you, Bido Empire. Gambler172 says, uh, Ed Ladin is real high quality for a good price. Need not more to say. Top. <laughs> Somehow Gambler172 always finds a way to say everything that needs to be said, but with only about one or two sentences. Awesome. Thank you, Gambler172. Gold Leader says, Ed Ladin's stuff is amazing. Bang, bang. Top shelf throughout. I guess this would be a good spot to show off my custom ColecoVision Super Arcade Plus controller. I told him exactly what I wanted, and he worked hard to make it happen. I'm not sure if he'd want the headache of making another controller this customized, but it doesn't hurt to ask. Uh, he can always say no, haha. The design mimics the controller I had as a kid, the idea of two buttons per side, joystick in the middle, and ambidextrous layout. Not the keypad which my childhood joystick did not have. Also, the joystick I had as a kid has leaf switches, which suck when you compare them to the micro switches of today. This controller can control a ColecoVision, Coleco Flashback, Atari 2600, and Atari 7800, and also acts as a great pass-through to control any of those using an Atari joystick, Coleco joystick, Coleco Flashback joystick, or Sega Genesis pad. I love it! And Gold Leader posted a picture of his ColecoVision Super Arcade Plus controller. Oh, man, it is a nice-looking controller. It looks pretty small, though. I, th I always, from the other pictures I, th I saw, I thought it would be bigger than what it is, but it's not really all that big, which is actually pretty cool. It doesn't look big. It's about the width of a ColecoVision. That's really cool to have all that in such a small chassis. Thank you, Gold Leader. And from Gold Leader, we go to Golden Wheels. So two golds in a row, Golden Wheels says the Seagull 78 is the best way to enjoy an Atari 7800, in my opinion. It just gives you so many good quality options with turbo pads and arcade sticks and the whole deal. Death to the pain lines. 
Also, I went in on a Kickstarter for a Coleco controller converter box as well. Same idea as the Seagull in a way, but with more options. Well, they discovered after release, a few games required some modification to the box to get them to work, including involving a switch and a small battery. Uh, details escape me now. I sent it back and they fixed it all back up. No charge. Great support. And thank you, Golden Wheels. And I... Yeah, that's something I didn't address, the customer support you get from Ed Ladden. Uh, like, when I got my Super Twin 78, I realized after I placed the order that I forgot to specify how I wanted the button layout, so I sent a really panicked email, <laughs> and uh, they were able to work with me. I think it helps that maybe they didn't start working on actually building it at the time. But, uh, yeah, I was so... I, I can't say enough good things about the Ed Ladden qu uh, customer support. And Jeremiah HJT says, the shirt I got for supporting the ColecoVision Kickstarter is a nice fit. I did not know about the shirt. Oh, man, I should have uh, jumped in on that. Well, I wouldn't mind uh, wearing an Ed Leiden shirt to work or whatever else have you. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremiah HJT. So, uh, Frogo Gamer says, once you go Ed Ladin, you never go badin. I know. Boo. Anyways, there's nothing I can say that no one else hasn't already said. Since buying an Ed Ladin Super Twin, I never use anything else on my 7800. I do still have my Seagull 78, just in case. But nothing beats playing fast Ms. Pac-Man on the 7800 with the Ed Ladin controller. Yeah, isn't that something? Somebody else who found that the Super Twin 78, which is basically an 8-way stick, works really well on a 4-way game. Wow. It's great to hear, especially a high-speed uh, Ms. Pac-Man. So thank you for your comment, Frogo Gamer. That's it for Atari Age for now. I'm going to go to my emails. Uh, and this is from longtime listener of the show, um, Eugenio, who says, Hello, Sean. I hope all is well. As I write this, I'm home recovering from my jaw surgery. Thankfully, everything went well, and I'm now doing my special diet and the jaw exercises I need to do to ensure my ligaments heal properly and I no longer get lockjaw. Oh, God. It will be a few months of things that need to be done, but at least I know I'll be better by the end of it. In any case, how about I share some feedback with you about the game you covered on the prior episode, Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, and about the one Ed Ladin product I own. Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater is another homebrew title from Clark Otto Jr., but one that was done at the request of Isabella Acuna, the host of the Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater radio show. You see, some goofy aliens have landed on Earth, and they've captured and imprisoned all radio DJs so they can use their own radio station, Radio Fialencia, to spread bad music that carries radio waves that can brainwash humanity. With the aid of a horde of DJ piggies, the aliens from Uranus will control all of mankind. Yet there is hope. One brave DJ has managed to stay free. Let's spell F-R-E-E-E. -E -E. I don't know if that was a typo or if uh, Eugenio meant to say free. And she will fight the aliens to stop their broadcast and free the planet. This DJ's name is Nurse Annabella. As the player, you just control Nurse Annabella as she heads to the alien radio station and fights off the DJ piggies, robot DJs, spaced-out aliens, and even killer robo-disc jockeys. You'll need to either punch or kick them, so Annabella literally kicks ass in this game, in order to advance to the next level. You do have a limited hit point count as each level starts, but you can find weed to help you regain your health. 
If you manage to defeat a killer robot disc jockey, you'll need to find a Japanese soda machine in order to advance to the next level. You will otherwise get lost in your current level. Lava Lamps has the typical style of Clark's games, but this one appears to be more polished than some of his prior games. Perhaps from experience or just because of stuff that Isabella may have asked him to do for the game. The game mechanics are the same as Hollywood Brawler, but this game is definitely harder because of the boss robots you must face. Those are not easy to defeat. The graphics have the usual cartoon style we have come to expect from Clark, but sound effects are better than on his prior games. Though not as sophisticated games, it is one you can certainly enjoy. And I'm going to stop right here for now, just so I don't get all uh, lost in the, in the midst of this email. But, but thank you for your feedback on uh, Lava Lamps and 8-Track Theater, Eugenio. It was uh, really great to see that. Uh, and, I was, and I was glad to see someone else uh, recognize that, yeah, this is, uh, uh, there's definitely some improvement over Clark's uh, previous efforts. Uh, and yeah, this really is a challenging game. Uh, it is, it's so easy to run out of hit points, really, if you're not careful. Like, you got to really pay attention to your hit points and run away as soon as you can without uh, losing the game, basically. <laughs> anyway, moving back to Eugenio's email here. As for the Ed Ladin controllers, I will say that I do not own a controller, but I do own the Seagull 78 controller adapter. This is what I use so I can play 7800 games that use two buttons with the Sega Genesis controller. Far more comfortable than the Painline controllers, that's for sure. This is, of course, an adapter and not a controller. You have to supply your own Sega Genesis controller, which can be any gamepad with three or six buttons, or one of the arcade stick controllers. When you use the adapter, buttons B and C each have a separate function just like the 7800 stick would if the game does take advantage of this. So, for example, if you want to play Bentley Bear's Crystal Quest, you can use this adapter to play where B lets you jump and C lets you shoot. For anyone considering this adapter, be aware that it will not work with Sega Master System controllers. It will only work with controllers designed for the Genesis. So, that's it for now. Keep up the good work. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Eugenio, thank you so much for... Uh, for your emails, great hearing from you again, and glad that you're recovering from your surgery. Uh, yeah, it's it sucks that you might not be able to eat your favorite foods during the summer, but hey, you know what? Ice cream. There you go. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> anyway, I hope your recovery goes smoothly and quickly. And uh, what else can I say about that? Um, and I know I said this before in this podcast earlier, and I know I said this earlier in this episode, but I do just want to make it clear. There is at least one exception to Sega Master System controllers not working, and again, that's the Sega Sports Pad. I used that to play Centipede in the 7800, and uh, man, I'd love to get that thing working again. If anybody knows how to uh, fix the issue of a trackball not reaching the rollers, uh, homebrew78 at fab4it.com is my email address. Also among my stack of emails, I heard from PJ Steele, who says, I had an issue with Asteroids and a few other games for my 7800 being unplayable due to the system seeming to be stuck on autofire from the time I hit the power button to turn the game on to the time I shut the game off. This only happened when I used the Genesis controllers. The Painline controllers seem to work fine with these games, but the cramping of the hand and the glitchy directional control associated with these controllers make most games extra frustrating after a few minutes of gameplay. 
I asked in the Atari 7800 Pro System Gamers group on Facebook if anyone else ever had this issue with the autofire being stuck, and someone recommended the Seagull adapter. Ed himself chimed in and offered his opinion, and I placed the order, which was nice. Sometimes I get nervous about taking others' advice on a product, but when the man himself adds his two cents, it's a lot more valuable. As soon as I received the adapter and plugged it in, the problem was solved. All the games I was having issues with now work properly. The adapter also adds a couple of feet of length to the controller cord, which is nice. Maybe one of these days I'll order one of the Edladen Super 78 controllers, which look incredible. But for now, the Seagull 78 adapter will have to do, and was well worth the money. I may actually get a second one in the coming months, but we'll see. Thank you, PJ. And I... I didn't specifically ask this. I, I guess I realize I should, but uh, I'm guessing that perhaps the most popular Ed Ladin product is the Seagull 78 because so many people just don't want to use the Proline controllers at all, the pain lines. Uh, and I remember there was a Yerky on Atari Age. He would modify pain line controllers by putting a ball top on them, and he made a few other minor adjustments. And people raved about it, so I decided to try that. I sent him one of my controllers, and it definitely made a huge difference on games that didn't require a fire button, like the Pac-Man games, basically. But the thing is, like with the fire button games, I was still getting that hand cramp that you're talking about. And it seems to me, though, that it's that the fallback solution for so many problems is to use a Sega Genesis controller. In fact, I remember... When I had an Amiga, uh, a classic Amiga, that is, the ones that ran off the uh, Motorola 68000 series, I would actually use a Sega Genesis controller. I don't know why I didn't use an Atari controller, but I would use a Sega Genesis controller on that. And uh, I know for a while with my Atari 2600, I actually did have a Sega Genesis controller working. That's always the fallback. It's interesting. And even on Vectrex, there's an adapter that lets you use a Sega Genesis controller on it. I have it for uh, for mine as well, and it works great. But something about the Sega Genesis controllers, there's just something that people love about them. And I'm glad you like the Seagull 78 PJ, and I'm sure that Ed feels that way too. And uh, that's it for feedback for this episode. There comes a time in every episode in which, well, it has to come to an end, and I guess this is that time. So uh, thank you all for listening to episode number 38 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. This look into the wonderful products of Ed Ladin controllers. And speaking of Ed Ladin controllers, I thank Ed Ladin controllers not only for Ed for joining me for this episode, but also for sponsoring this podcast over patreon along with air shack kyle etter jimmy g great offender richard grounds pj Steele, and richard valdez if you would like to help support this show financially you can go to patreon.com slash homebrew 78 and patreon is spelled p-a-t-r-e-o-n should you want to reach out to me, I am available over email at homebrew78 at fab4it.com. And fab4it.com is spelled F-A-B and then the number 4 and then it.com. 
The show notes that I keep talking about, you can go to the web at homebrew78.fab4it.com to look at those things. My Twitter handle is homebrew78. The YouTube channel is homebrew7800. And uh, let's see, what do I what did I see coming up for episode number 39? Um, 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 let's see, I've covered pretty much everything. Oh, that's right, I haven't covered pretty much everything. Uh, you know what, let's talk about Pac-Man Collection next. The first of at least two parts, I should say. And you know what, I don't think it's going to go beyond two parts, but eh, we'll see, we'll see. So Pac-Man Collection Part 1 will be episode number 39. Thank you again for listening to me. Thank you to the Patreon folks for supporting this podcast. And I ask all of you to support these hardworking homebrew developers. Give them that support they deserve. Talk to you in a couple of weeks.